Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. Welcome back to another episode of the Deal Deep Dive segment on the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm your host, Trent Werner. In this segment, our featured guests will share their unique stories on a specific deal they've invested in. We will dive deep into finding the deal, financing the deal, writing an offer, and the due diligence. Do us a solid and smash that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this episode. And now, let's dive deep. All right, Russ, thanks for joining me today. Just so our audience knows a little bit about you and you know where you've come from. I see you've come from a different background than other real estate investors normally would. You've worked for other companies. You've started your own companies. Share a little bit about your story today. Yeah, I'll give you the quick version, not the mom version. All right. <laughs> Background was in was in financial services, actually was a certified financial planner at one point. And what kind of led me to helping build multiple.wall street, our current business, is because I saw that that model didn't work. It was a broken model. It was a model that worked for advisors and for the money managers, but not really for the end user. My business partner and I started Wealthwatt Wall Street and a podcast kind of was birthed out of that. And through that, we started like digging deeper into how do we how do we become financially free for ourselves? We've done a really good job of building cash, stacking cash, but didn't really have a good idea of what to do with it. And so the podcast gave us an opportunity to learn from really cool people like yourself, find out good places to put money, how to become better investors. And that led us to starting to publish our own personal passive income report every single month where we detail the wins and the losses and the lessons that we learned along the way. And through that, built a you know community of a little over 7,000 people that's off social media and has kind of burst into even masterminds and stuff from there. Very nice. Well, one question I did have, because I was reading through the bio here, and I'm interested to hear your opinions on 401k, speaking of traditional <laughs> stock market investment strategies. Oh, man, that's a cuss word in our world, Trent, man. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I used to go into lots of detail. It would get into debates with people about, you know, the lack of return, the restriction, the future taxation. But here's how I really have kind of simplified this for me. And when people enter our world, we tend to ask them a question, what would financial freedom look like for you? And then how quickly do you want to obtain it? And you're a younger guy. So if I asked you that question... What would be your typical answer? How quickly would you want to attain financial freedom? 35. Okay. Amazing. That's awesome, right? And for us, it's people that will say either an age, like 35, it may be five years within the next five years. And what we always say is like, okay, sweet. Well, if you're contributing to a 401k, that contribution is in direct conflict with your goal. Now, why would I say that, Trent? Well, in order to access the money in the 401k, it's going to be at minimum 59 and a half before you can touch it, right? So you said, I want to be financially free at age 35. Well, now every contribution you're making into this thing is deferring your ability 
to access that money. And now that money cannot be used to create passive income for you so that you can obtain it by age 35. And I think that that's what's missed, right? Like people will say, well, what about the match? And I mean, aren't I getting a match? Well, great. But what do you have to put in to get the match? If you don't have to put anything in, they just put money in. That's amazing. Good for them. If you decide to leave the company and pay the penalty or leave it there, it's unaffecting you. But if you are actually having to contribute any level of money into a 401k and your objective is to become financially free before 59 and a half, now you're making a contribution that's in direct conflict with your ultimate goals. I understand that completely. I really do. <laughs> Most people <laughs> don't, though. <laughs> well, you know, we don't know what we don't know until somebody shines light on it. And then like your podcast, I'm sure, is just sharing ideas where people actually see that financial freedom by age 35 is achievable. It's not so far-fetched, right? You don't have to be a billionaire to accomplish that. Right. What would you say to someone that, especially wealth without Wall Street, you know, in your name, people hear Wall Street and think of stock market. What would you say to someone and what do you recommend for investment vehicles outside of Wall Street or the stock market, which a lot of people are kind of trapped in. Yeah. Well, so here's the first thing I would say is one, you have to understand what is it that you want to accomplish and why is that so important that you will not get detoured or prevented from obtaining it, right? Your why has to be greater than your why not. And I don't think a lot of people have taken even the time to write that down, much less even considered thinking about it. So for us, when people come to us, that's the first thing we ask. Well, Trent, tell me what it is that you're trying to accomplish and why is that so important to you? And if you don't have a good goal, then we're going to spend time doing that, even though that seems super basic, but it's the most important thing, right? If you can have a vision in front of you on a constant daily basis, your mind will subconsciously work you toward it. And if you don't believe that, you know, it just goes to the ad is the first time you got whatever the newest car that you ever bought, whether it was brand new or semi new. As soon as you drove it off the line, you're driving it home, you noticed three other ones just like it, right? Because your brain now was filtering out all the things that it said wasn't important before, but now pointing out to you the things that are important, like, oh, there's that car, right? So when you tell yourself, I want this, your brain is going to start pointing it out all around you, and you're going to make decisions both consciously and unconsciously to accomplish it. Secondly, you got to have access to money. So the first thing I tell people is where are you putting money? That's the reason you were asking me a question about 401ks. You know, we find that most of the people are making major mistakes in the way that they're trying to save for retirement, the way that they're paying down debt, where they keep their cash, all of those things become issues. And so we tend to help them solve those problems. But then the conversation around what do I invest in? Russ, I'm looking at your passive income report. I see you guys invest in syndications. I see you guys do short-term rentals. I see you do land flipping. So you're in the you're renting cars and RVs. <laughs> you're doing crypto mining. I mean, like you look at our report, it's pretty crazy, right? A little bit scatterbrained. Is that what I should do? And the answer is I don't know. Because you should not take financial advice. Financial advice is garbage and should be treated as such. What you need to understand is who you are as an investor. So what we refer to this as your investor DNA. Each one of us has a very unique way that we see the world. We're gifted with unique opportunities and resources and networks. And once you understand who you are as an investor, then you can start matching up the different investment opportunities out there. You know, Kiyosaki says something like, no good about investments, just good about investors, right? 
And I think that that's what I would tell people is that don't invest in something I do just because I do it and it works. Invest in something that you're gifted at. So you need to understand who you are as an investor. And as you have proven that, then you will become successful in what you're trying to accomplish. You know, I really like what how you approach that because a lot of people, especially, you know, if you don't have a whole lot of base knowledge on a specific investment vehicle or, you know, investment strategies altogether, a lot of people want to find the easiest way out. And that's have someone else tell me what I should do with my money. And like you said, that plan doesn't work for everyone. A lot of the times it's cookie cutter and they just keep recycling the same plans over and over again. So it sounds like you're telling people to obtain knowledge and information and then decide how you want to go about being an investor going forward instead of having someone just tell you an answer quickly. Yeah. Your desire should be to become a better investor, right? Like not that you have to do everything yourself. I mean, Clearly, the people who invest through you guys are trusting in what you're doing for them. But first, they need to understand, well, what is that outcome going to look like for me if I invest with you? And is that going to match who I am as an investor? Am I going to get filled up by that so that I can go really hard? Here's an example. I know you shows a lot of real estate. So the first real estate deal I did cost me 11 years. Here's why I say that. I did. I bought a single family property. It was actually a condo in a college town from a buddy of mine, had a renter in it, and it produced amazingly like $95 a month, right? (laughs) And that was quickly consumed by the next two water leaks into my property that I paid SurfPro, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it was not super exciting to me because I could not influence it. My gift to the world, if anything, is just being a part of the influence. I like being hands-on. I like to be a part of things. And I couldn't be a part of it. Like I tried my best to like tell people, you know, in my circle, hey, I got this property down there. If you send a kid down there, let me show them the property and they can rent it. I didn't rent it. <laughs> you know, like and I only had one property, right? So it wasn't like it was a, a hundred that I could really send people to. And when things went bad in the property, there's nothing I could do. It was a hundred miles away from me. So I just was not interested in it. So I literally bought no other investment over that 11-year period of time that produced passive income. And I didn't understand why. I just knew that this doesn't work for me. This is what people invest in real estate. Well, it must work for them. It doesn't work for me. And I was doing traditional Wall Street stuff over that time. And it wasn't until we got introduced to this idea of building out who we were as investors that I realized, oh, No, I need to be more hands-on. And so now when I find deals for my personality style that I can create into businesses and investment opportunities, I get excited. Well, then I will invest a lot more money into them, which ultimately then I can then produce the results because of that. So people need to match up the things that they're investing in based on who they are because they'll go super fast. I know somebody has a hundred, you know, single family homes. They love it, right? Because their DNA is set up to where they like the consistency, they like the stability of it, and ultimately the cash flow is what matches what they're interested in. That's interesting because a lot of people, I think, focus on either you know appreciation in a property or cash flow. Did this property appreciate at all while you owned it? <laughs> this particular property mm, probably did not. I ultimately made money in it. Again, timing's everything, right? I bought the property in 2000 and the end of 2006. 
right? Mm-hmm. I sold it in 2018. So I hold it for about 12 years. And I do think I sold it for maybe 5,000 more than I paid for it. But, you know, it was minimal, but it was just timing, right? Right. Well, and the reason I ask that is because you're talking about passive income. It sounds like the property may have generated a little income, but it wasn't a home run by any means. So how right. do you, now that you're out of that property and obviously into other real estate investments and other passive investments, how did you make that switch? And how did you switch gears to, I'm not going to be the single family homeowner that owns a hundred single family doors into investing in syndications and other real estate investment strategy or vehicles? Yeah. Well, when I figured out what I would be interested in, so one of the deals that you know we got involved in was the short-term rental space. And mm-hmm. what I, I really loved about that is that I can influence the outcome. I mean, and I can get on our social channels and I can promote our company. Our company is called Wake Up in Birmingham. So, you know, when people are traveling to Birmingham for work, they're traveling here for ball games and things like that. And I'm from Alabama, so I have a decent network of people that will come through Birmingham, I can say, hey, stay in one of our 26 properties that we have. And that became really interesting for me because I was like, well, I can influence the outcome. I can lead an operator. So we built a business out of a short-term rental property. We started with one. We scaled it to 20 within 13 months, and it was all hands-off meaning that we hired an operator, we trained them, we got them, you know, what the resources they needed. And then we just meet with them on a weekly basis to just add executive, you know, input. And that became super interesting with me, right? So like, to me, like that was really easy for me to go really hard at. So through that, I started looking for other deals. And one of the deals that we did you know, sometimes people like to hear the good deals, but I like to tell the bad deals, right? Tell the stories that people are like, okay, I don't want to do that. So we were we were building the short-term rental business, having lots of success. We were primarily using the arbitrage model where we're just renting condos, townhouses, and single-family homes to do it. And we stayed in a property with our mastermind up in Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Nashville. And it was like this 11-bedroom property that was being rented out on VRBO and the title was event venue with luxury accommodations. And it was amazing. Like we did like a 30 person event, you know, a lot of people was able to stay on property. And I said, Joey, we need to do this in Birmingham. Like there's nothing like that. You go on VRBO, you go on Airbnb, there's like five bedroom properties, nothing bigger than that. About the same time I get an email, I'm in a little bitty small community, like 13 homeowners. And one of our homeowners says, hey, I'm getting ready to sell our house. We found like our dream home on this golf course, this prestigious golf courses in Birmingham, and we're going to end up selling it. So I was like, well, I responded to him individually, said, hey, would you mind us having a, a conversation? I was actually, I just tried to buy a property and it didn't go through. And I'm looking for something that your house may be in. And so this is like a 7,000 square foot home. It's on eight acres. It's one of like seven homes on like this 30 acre pond. And I'm thinking, Trent, like this is going to be an event venue, right? This is going to be a place for us to host small weddings, be the place where wedding parties will come to. 
to stay as a family unit for corporate events like ours. It's secluded. It's out of the way. Our little neighborhood has no sort of covenants on it outside of you can't, you know, build a certain size home. You can't have trailers, things like that, but there's no like HOA. And the city that we're in, you know, I'm looking on the city's website. There's no restrictions on short-term rentals. There's plenty of short-term rentals in the city. I'm like, this is going to be great. So we work a deal out, Trent, with the homeowner to buy the property subject to. Now, I'm sure you know what that is, and maybe 90% of your audience does, but for the 10% of the people who don't know what that means, it means we bought the house subject to taking over their mortgage, and they had a 2.75% rate, right? So like, we were able to like get a house, not have to go get a mortgage, get a get on our own, especially in an investment property. The reason why my neighbor was willing to do it is we showed them the math. Hey, we could go get a traditional mortgage. It's going to take us probably an extra 45 days to close. And after paying all the appraisal fees, all the fees on the mortgage and yada, 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 here's the net in which we could pay you. But yet, if we could take over your mortgage and not have to do any of that, we can close within 15 days. And here's the net in which we'll pay you, which was actually more. And of course, the timing means that we save them a payment or two and all the maintenance and, you know, upkeep and everything else that goes along with utilities. So he was happy to do it. So here we are at this property. We've got a construction team that's evaluating it. We're going to turn this basement into a couple of extra bedrooms, going to renovate this attic space. You know, like, how are we going to take this? I think it was a six bedroom property into nine bedrooms. And about this time, I get a like a message from my neighborhood saying, hey, by the way, we just got a call from this attorney. These people are buying this so-and-so's property up here and they're planning to turn it into a short-term rental. So we need to go to the mayor and get this thing outlawed. They don't know it's me. Oh my goodness. So Trent, like this is like a chaos. I'm like, oh no, this can't happen. So I decide to respond to the neighbors and say, hey, by the way, it's not just some, you know, off the wall group about to come in here. It's me. And why don't we host you this Saturday to let you walk through the house? You know, everybody likes to snoop through a house and we'll show you what we plan to do and like how this is going to benefit the neighborhood. We had this great plan. I hope I'm not boring you here, by the way. (laughs) Uh, We have this great plan set up for how not only the property was going to be improved, it's going to beautify the neighborhood, but also one of the things is our neighborhood is all gravel roads. And it's a pain in my side because I live at the very end of the gravels, by the way. I'm like a mile and a half from paved road. And I'm like, I want to pave the roads. And one of the things that we plan to do is add a little usage fee for every person who stays here. And that will be enough for us to pay for us to pave the road in the first year. And so I'm like, they're going to love this, right? Like who wouldn't love that? That's going to be amazing. And, you know, just so you know, like, this is how we run our properties. You know, we have 20 something units. We have all these noise awareness, you know, technologies in our property. So we make sure parties don't happen. And, you know, this is going to be a place that it's going to allow families to come together and connect. And it's going to be just amazing, right? Everybody's going to love this. And by the way, we can use it as maybe like a country club for the neighborhood, like once a month and could utilize the pool and maybe have a, you know, a neighborhood meeting or something like that. Maybe a couple of like a Christmas party. I'm not like trying to add in things. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, man, I'm just going to be like, 
king of the neighborhood. People are going to be so excited about this. Trent, that couldn't have been further from the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I have never seen so many people that mad. Like we did a, like a 15 minute presentation, just showing them pictures of the, you know, updates and things we're going to make to the house. And then talked a little bit about some of the things we're going to do to improve the road and how we were going to take on this as an expense. And, you know, their thousand dollar a month year contribution to upkeeping the road. They're not going to have to make that anymore because we're going to be doing this. And all I could hear for the next 45 minutes was how I had been the worst neighbor ever to think that they would want people to come in their neighborhood and be here and how people are going to be having wild parties and nude and, you know, getting out on, you know, the pond and throwing beer cans. And I mean, you name it, like you think of the most absurd scenario they came up with and immediately went to the mayor's office in our little bitty small community and like blew them up so much that when we went and had a meeting and sat down with the mayor and four city council people, he slammed stuff down on the desk and said, well, you guys have created a heck of a stink here. <laughs> and so needless to say that unfortunately we were not able to turn that house into an event venue because the city decided they were going to change the rules on short-term rentals. And it was going to obviously negatively impact us in a way that would make that property unusable. The positive that came out of it is that I learned a lot of lessons. We actually made about $35,000 flipping the property. First time I ever flipped the house without, and I did nothing to it, by the way, I just bought it and then sold it. But because I bought it subject to, I was the only reason I made money because if I would have had to have paid all those fees on the front end, I would have broke even or lost money. But thankfully we ultimately got money out of it. But just to me, like that's a deal that sticks out of my mind is like an opportunity that could have been, but didn't happen. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through offsite professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. Uptown Syndication is now offering a syndication coaching program for you to take your real estate portfolio to the next level. This is your opportunity to have experienced syndicators, AJ and Chris Shepard, coach you on your way to controlling your real estate investing future. Our coaching program will provide you with the tools and framework needed to begin syndicating real estate in your target market. Go to uptownsyndication.com today to learn more. One thing, I mean, one thing with that situation and that story is that you were still able to figure out a way to, I mean, even if you ended up losing money or broke even, it's not like it was going to kill your financial progress to that point. So yeah, it's a bummer because it would have been an awesome deal, but you were still able to find a way to make it worthwhile, which so, totally is yeah. important. And, well, and you know, I'm encouraging people out there who's maybe thinking of how do I get in the real estate space or how do I get in real estate space and do short-term rental? To me, I continue to look for properties out there that would fit this criteria because I think I know from experience at firsthand, from being at a property where we utilized it over a four-day window with about 30 people and were able to have you know a small group of us stay there on property, 
how valuable that was. And then we did an event with our mastermind in Austin, Texas at a small kind of boutique hotel. And they were basically doing the same thing. They were promoting it out there as kind of this event venue, but with accommodations. And it just allows for togetherness. And I think that there's real opportunity in that space. So even though this specific property didn't work out, which would have been awesome, and I think would have been crazy cool, the math on it was just going to be ridiculous. It just gave me the know-how what to do next. So that way, when we go to do it, we have it buttoned up. And having had the experience of buying a property subject to, like that was something I'd never done. And, you know, I've spent some time with people in that, you know, who do that for a living that buy all their properties subject to in seller finance to have just an example underneath my belt there that I can use for buying businesses or buying real estate in the future. Especially with where we're at in the current market. I think that's something that's going to be very valuable going forward in the next few years. Yeah, totally. What would you, obviously you had a bunch of takeaways from this type of deal, but when you're underwriting, especially a short-term rental of that nature, kind of the luxury short-term rental event space property, what are you looking at the most for when it comes to underwriting? Are you looking at nightly rates that you think you can get? Or, I mean, I don't even know how to begin with a property like that. Yeah. Well, for us, it was the market itself, right? Like looking to see if there was anything like it. I think what I've learned in the short-term rental space is that you need to stand out. You have to be unique, right? Sometimes you see people like renting out silos in the farms or, you know, or tree houses or, or whatever it is, it has to be unique. And, you know, in our market, like I said, the biggest property that's in Birmingham, which is a million metro, you know, that's a fairly decent mid-sized city, had no properties greater than five people. Well, where are all those weddings happening at, right? Like I just went to a wedding right before we were buying it. So this is why it was on my mind. And it was down in Tallahassee, Florida. And we have a large family. I've got four kids. My wife's sister, their family have a big family. And we're all going down there and we're having to stay in like 17 hotel rooms, right? Like, or, you know, trying to find houses. But the problem is with houses that then, yeah, you can find a house you can stay in, but you're now miles away from everybody else in the wedding party. And what wedding parties want to do is they want to be together because a lot of times it's like a family reunion, right? People are coming together. Friends are coming together. I hadn't seen each other. And so it's like, well, man, how could we find a property like that? So for me, I was thinking uniqueness. Like, is it unique? Well, yes, unique. One, because it's, you know, it was going to be like seven, eight, nine bedroom unit. There's nothing else out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's going to be unique because it was just right outside of town and was remote, had a big, huge pond. You know, there's all sort of different things that you could add to it. So when somebody's looking at, you know, properties to buy, what's the uniqueness to it? Like if there was 15 other, 20 other properties just like it, that would be a big risk to take for that amount of money. So for me, looking at the nightly rate, really what I could say is, well, what would it cost a family of four or five to rent a space and then multiply that times the number of people I could get in there? Because really, I could have hosted four or five families and people would pay a premium in order to be together as compared to be separate. Right. So that was little things that went into my kind of underwriting under it. Do you remember what your projected revenue for the first year would have been? We were looking at like a 2000 a night minimum, 
with a three-day minimum. I think our projection was around 750 of gross mm-hmm. and probably was going to net somewhere around three, 320. That's kind of where I was at, especially for, a, like you said, you can get three families in there. People are going to be wanting to go on weekend trips, get back together with the family, and they're willing to pay a premium for that in one place. Well, for anybody who's in the short-term rental space, you know, like it's volume. Like for us, we have a lot of one, two, and three bedroom units. And, you know, we do well on those, but, you know, like if I could, just like an apartment complex, right? If if I can get the benefit of having all of those things under one roof, then I can minimize some of the expenses I have, right? So if I can increase my nightly rate for to 2000 or to 2500 or 3000 a night, well, that may require me to have like eight or 10 other properties rented, you know, in our normal portfolio to equal that same amount. And I have to pay cleaning crews, you know, times that number and utilities and rents and things like that. So there's a lot of value to me in a big space like that, that you can minimize some of those costs and maximize some of the returns. Because you, when you're the only game in town, you can almost charge what you want. And the sad part about this, it was actually a vineyard wedding venue, like within a mile of us. And they had been using us and some of the other properties that we have, we were actually putting their bottles of wine in some of our units for specific occasions. They'd actually created a label with our company name on it. And like, they were like, so excited. Like we're going to like every wedding party we're going to have, we're going to tell them about your venue. That's where they should stay and do, you know, have the bridal party or whatever there. There's really cool opportunities in that. Just Finding uniqueness, I guess. What attracts you to the short-term rental versus going out and buying a 15-unit long-term apartment complex? Well, for me, just going back to my investor DNA, liking to have something that's unique. Mm-hmm. I like that part of it, right? It's new. It's in vogue. You know, the, it's something that I can talk about and I can influence. So that is always exciting. I like the cash flow potential, right? The, you know, for a typical, I'll give you one example. So we had a property that my business partner had owned. He had owned it for about 13 years going into this. And he was averaging about $950 a month in rent on this two bedroom condo. He was netting about a hundred dollars a month. And we put it into our rental port, into our short-term rental portfolio. And the first month we rented it out for $3,200 and netted about $750 a month. And for me, like that's the appeal, right? I have the potential to cash flow at a higher rate if done correctly, if managed, right? The downside to short-term rental is that it could be hands-on if you're the one doing it. For us, our cash flow could obviously be higher if we were doing it ourselves, but we actually have a full-time operator. So I like that. I could turn it into a business kind of like you can a multifamily project, but with the potential for higher returns, obviously higher volatility, but with the potential for higher return. So I've been actually talking with a bunch of people lately and it's this idea has maybe just become more prevalent lately, but what are your thoughts on, let's take that 15 unit apartment complex where you have 13 or maybe 12 fixed term, 12 month leases. And then you have three short term leases. It depends on how they're set up, like how the building is set up, right? The problem with having short term rental in the same space as long term rental tenants 
is you run the risk of the long-term rental people being hacked off in some way. And we experienced that in a couple of spaces. We have a building that has 12 units total. We have eight of them on short-term rental. And every once in a while we deal with an issue with one of the long-term rental tenants, right? That just, they see people, different people coming in and out and that can create this little bit of friction and whether it's actual or not, they can complain about that. I think that's an issue that could arise, but if they were, you know, if you had a section where they were off to their side and out of the way, I don't see that to be an issue at all. I think you could get away with it. Just be careful of where they're located in relationship to each other. All right. Okay. All right. Well, Russ, what outside of real estate and short-term rentals, you mentioned a couple other investment endeavors and ventures that you have. I heard cars and there was another one. I can't remember off the top of my head, but what are a couple other ventures that you have? So we run a land flipping business. And I don't know if you've ever interviewed any land flippers in the past, but our company buys small tracts of land all across rural America and turns around and sells it on terms, you know, seller finance notes. And that's a big opportunity for us. We've built that up to about 26000 a month in note revenue. We have an information business where we've, you know, just built from being in the podcast world, affiliate marketing world. We've invested in syndications, both apartments, ATMs. We had a crypto mining business for a long time. We still are in the crypto mining. Now it's Bitcoin, but we had 35 Ethereum miners going all the way back to 2017. And then you know, earlier last year, whenever that specific token was changed, you couldn't mine it anymore. It changed a, a little bit of the ways that we did stuff there. So a little bit of everything. I mean, it's really... You know, we're in the oil and gas space within some different syndications. We're always looking for opportunities to find business ventures that we can get into right now. We're really, the goal for 2023 is to buy two to $3 million e-commerce brands and to, you know, install a, a management company within them and kind of roll them up into a bigger conglomerate so that we could sell that off. But if it makes money and has the ability to be hands-off, I'm super interested in it. And I guess my follow-up question to all these different ventures that you know could potentially pull you in a thousand different directions is, why do you do it? For me, again, I'm seeking passive income, greater than monthly expenses, just like everybody else. And I'm trying to teach my kids that this is a way of life, that they don't have to go to college if they don't want to. They don't have to work for somebody for the rest of their life if they don't want to, that whenever they want to do something, they ask how instead of can I? And ultimately that's just spawned off into us in a podcast, both on ours and others like yours, to be able to encourage other people to just try to be able to show them that it's possible. I like that. And I think a lot of people get, we already talked about the stock market and the 401ks, but the rat race also includes working for someone else nine to five for 40 years and hoping to retire after that. So I really enjoy and like hearing someone say, you know, something that I'm trying to do as well is <laughs> not work nine to five for someone else for the rest of my life. Here's what we interviewed a guest and he said this to me, he said, find the thing that you're passionate about doing and allow your passive income to allow you to pursue passion 
income, right? Like my business partner and I are believers of Jesus Christ. And we have not found in the Bible anywhere where it talks about retirement, right? And so I'm not in a belief system that we should just stop work and sit on the couch and do nothing. Like we are called to be in service, right? The word retirement, if you look at the definition, is to be taken out of service. Yet we're called to serve others. So I don't believe in like sitting on the couch and doing nothing. But at the same time, like where do I add the most value? We all know that when we're happy in whatever we're doing, we're going to create the most value in that thing. And so if you're working in a job that you hate, well, that should be something you should look to get out of so that you can get into something you enjoy. So some people, that's art, right? They love art. Well, great. Perfect. You may not be able to, you know, my sister's an amazing artist and has made 26 cents and, you know, her 50 years of being an artist is not something that she makes money in, but she enjoys doing it. Well, what if she had all day to produce art and What sort of amazing things could she do because of that if she had the passive income that she didn't have to worry about going to a job? There's so many things that we're gifted to do, but we don't actually spend time doing them because they don't necessarily produce enough money for us. Well, I think that's sad. Like to me, like how many people could be serving as missionaries across the world or helping at the local church or boys and girls club or whatever it is? If they just had the ability to do it because their income coming from things that they didn't have to go trade their time for was greater than their monthly expenses. I love it. I love it. Russ, where can people connect more with you? I know you have a podcast. Why don't you go ahead and mention that? And I'm I'm sure we'll link it down in the show notes when this gets published. But where can people find more and hear more about you? Yeah. Well, we built a page. If you go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash Westside Investors Network. Sound familiar? Uh, you can you can find out more about us. You can get access to our community that we've built where we pour all of our content into. And our podcast is Wealth Without Wall Street. And there's just so many different avenues to get engaged in finding who you are as an investor and how do you maximize that opportunity. Awesome. Russ, thank you again so much for having a conversation with me today. And I really appreciate your time and sharing all these different avenues that you've explored and are on right now. Thank you again. Yeah. Thank you, Trent, for doing this. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.